Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. home. This is an exciting season. We just finished 12 weeks in the book of Ephesians. Man, this has been an awesome series. And we're pushing pause, pushing pause, because literally we got a little bit left of Ephesians that's in this whole thing of spiritual warfare. We're going to pick that up at the end of January. So three weeks of teaching at the end of January, 21 days of prayer. It's going to be powerful. But right now, It's Christmas, right? Everybody in the mood for Christmas? Woo! Are we ready for that or what in the midst of COVID? I know it's going to be called a COVID Christmas, but it's four weeks of Christmas. Can't stop Christmas. In church, there are two ways to teach, and you may never think about this. One way is I step up, I pick up the Bible. This is the truth. And then somewhere in the teaching, give illustration. And that's like a picture, a parable that helps you see it more clearly. Other times we start, we give a a picture, a parable, a, a story, a movie. And then we pick up the Bible and deliver the truth, and it helps you see it. Well, we're about to walk into four weeks of Christmas where we... Start with children's Christmas stories. we got so many kids with us in the midst of COVID. Let's have some fun with some children's Christmas stories and then bring in the truth. So Sean's teaching today. Come on up here, Sean. Let me pray for us. Father, it is a kind thing that your Holy Spirit would be with us, but this season is because your son came to be with us. You've transformed our lives as your anointing rests on Sean. May your Holy Spirit teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So welcome again, 12 Stone Home and live at all of our campuses. We are so glad that you are here. Let's just start off by turning to someone around you and saying this. Merry Christmas. Go ahead. Merry Christmas. Come on. That's right. It's that season, isn't it? And what are we saying when we actually say this? Well, it's two words. uh, Mass in Christ. Mass talking about the Lord's Supper, that we would remember what Jesus has done for us, and then Christ. Uh, how many of you know what that, that word means? Many people confuse that. They think Mary and Joseph, their last name was Christ. That's not it. Uh, Christ actually means the Messiah, the Savior that has come. So when we say Merry Christmas, man, we are saying what an incredible time to remember that our Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has come to save us. That's a Merry Christmas. Now, Christmas is a lot of different things, if we're honest. Uh, Christmas cookies, Christmas trees, eggnog, caroling, great movies. Uh, But one of the favorite things for Cassie and I in the Christmas season is when we get to bring out the old Christmas books and read some stories to our kids. In fact, if you're on the chat or you're someone around you at the campuses, tell them your favorite Christmas book, just that one book that you always want to read in the Christmas season. Go ahead, write it in there. For Cassie and I, man, we have so many favorites. Uh, I, I love, it was the night before Christmas, love that. I love uh, a new one, kind of one that our little boy Leo, who's two years old, loves this Llama Llama holiday drama. I mean, those books are just killing it right now. He loves that one. But today, we're going to take a look at a classic. And it is probably one of my favorite books that I've ever read for the Christmas season. And it gets a bad rep. It does. So I'm going to redeem that here today. 
And the book we're looking at is the Polar Express. The Polar Express. Now, instead of me, one person likes it. I love that. Uh, instead of me describing uh, and kind of breaking down what that book is, I figured, man, I would just ask Travis Billman, would you give us a summary of the Polar Express? Enjoy. Oh, hi. Welcome to Unnecessary Recaps with Travis Billman. I'm your host, Travis Billman, and today we'll be recapping the book, The Polar Express. The Polar Express is a book about a young man in bed on Christmas Eve night who yearns to hear the ringing of sleigh bells from Santa's sleigh because he wants to prove a friend of his wrong that said that Santa Claus doesn't exist. No comment. But instead, what he hears is the hiss of a locomotive in his front yard. So he runs outside and hears a conductor that says, we're called the Polar Express. We're headed to the North Pole. Well, of course, he does what any reasonable kid does and runs inside to check with his parents to make sure it's a good idea. Oh wait, no he doesn't. He just gets right on a completely random train with a total stranger. Where are his parents? Well, anyway, off the train goes, full of unparented children, eating candy from strangers and drinking hot chocolate, headed off to God knows where. Basically, this is a parent's worst nightmare. On they surge through dark brooding forests full of wolves up and over mountain ranges, cross a desert of ice until they see in the distance the beautiful North Pole. Well, they head to the city center and they walk through a crowd full of elves because they want to see Santa Claus hand out the very first gift of Christmas. And guess what? Santa chooses our young boy to receive that gift. Santa says, young man, what would you like for Christmas? And he can have anything his heart desires. And he thinks and says, I want to bell off your sleigh like a dummy. Ask for a million dollars or a new Xbox, but nope. This kid asks for a silver noisemaker. So he gets the bell and of course he puts it in the one place where you put the most treasured possession you own, in the floppy pocket of your robe. Then he gets on the train and as he heads home, all the kids are clamoring around saying, show us the bell, show us the bell. He reaches in a pocket and instead finds a whole big shock. So dejected, he arrives home, falls asleep and wakes up the next morning to an extra gift under the tree from a Mr. C. He opens it up and it's the silver bell that he lost. He rings it and it makes the most beautiful noise he's ever heard, but his parents, because they don't believe in Santa Claus, they don't hear the bell at all. Or it's possible that they have high frequency hearing loss. That's up for you to decide. And basically, that's the Polar Express. Come on, give it up for Travis, right? in the style that only he could ever do. But when you break down the story of the Polar Express, what it really comes down to is a story in a wrestling with doubt. A young boy that believes in Santa Claus but has friends telling him Santa doesn't exist. So he takes a trip to face his doubt to discover if what he believes is actually true. Instead of an Xbox, instead of a million bucks, he picks a bell off Santa's sleigh. And the significance is what Travis said, that if you believe in Santa, you can hear the bell ring. For those of us who don't believe, it sounds a little bit like this. Now, there is a significant moment inside of this story. It's the last page, kind of carries the weight, a spiritual undertone of really 
the significance of how we believe and how that looks like inside of our life. I want to read the last page to you. It says, at one time, most of my friends could hear the bell. But as years passed, it fell silent for all of them. Even Sarah, his sister, found one Christmas that she could no longer hear its sweet sound. Though I've grown old, the bell still rings for me as it does for all who truly believe. Now let me make a spiritual point. What do you believe? No, not when it comes to Santa Claus. What, what do you believe when it comes to your faith? What do you believe when it comes to Jesus Christ? See, does the bell of the gospel still ring loud for you? Or is Christmas just another season that we walk through and pass by without a care? Just a time for family to get together and be thankful. What do you believe? Now in the Gospels, Jesus himself had a phrase that he would say over and over again, trying to get our attention. The Gospel of Matthew has one account of it, and he says this. Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Pay attention. Jesus wants our undivided attention today because when it comes to our faith and our doubts, he has something to say. If you have ears to hear, hear today. So what I want to do, I ask the question, what do we believe? What do you believe? What I want to do is I just, can we just read the Christmas story together? I just want to read the Christmas story. You don't even have to turn there. I'm going to read it. You can just listen and follow along. But when we ask the question, what do we believe? This is what we believe when it comes to Christmas. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, I think many of us are, are familiar with that story, so familiar that we hear it and we say, man, yeah, I believe that. Do you? Like, have you ever really just read that verse by verse and really broke down what we say we believe about the Christmas season? Let me help you see what we say we believe. Look at this. We say, God comes to earth as a baby born in a manger. Mary gets pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Mary is a virgin. An angel of the Lord tells Joseph it's all good in a dream, and Joseph believes it. Like, what? I, I don't know about you. If I'm Joseph, I'm going, I'm not sure, right? It continues. Shepherds in a field see a blinding light, and a chorus of angels from heaven tells them about Jesus and worships. 
okay? Magi follow a star to find Jesus. Now, let's take it from the, the Christmas story and go right to the gospel. I mean, let's look at what we believe inside of the gospel. This is kind of overview. A guy was born 2,000 years ago to save the world, dying on a couple of sticks, was resurrected and came back to life. He brought peace on earth, even though there's been a ton of violence since then. One day, he is soon going to come back again, riding through the clouds on a white horse to collect the faithful, destroy the wicked, and restore the earth. Who wouldn't believe that? Right? Catch my sarcasm here. Do you understand what we say we actually believe when it comes to our faith? Some of you, some of you think this and you go, man, well, I've never had doubts before, but I'm starting. Like, really? Okay. Listen, I get it. We all have questions. We all have doubts. I've been there before. But for some of us, doubts are the reason that we can't believe. Like, for some of us, it, it's a circumstance we're going through. And we're like, wait, wait, if God is real, wouldn't he be here in this? Wouldn't he be doing something about this? For some of us, you, you grew up in a church experience that, that didn't encourage loving God and being a part of, of what he's doing here on this earth, and it's tainted you, and, and so to speak, the fact that you're watching this on 12 Stone Home or even in one of our campuses is a miracle in itself because you would never come to church because you've had bad experiences. Maybe you read the Bible and you're like a flood that destroys the whole world except for one family and these animals show up two by two and get on and they survive and I, I just, I don't know. Some of you read about hell and you go, how can a loving God send people to a place called hell? Why would that even exist? And you wrestle through this. You have questions and you have doubts. Now, when it comes to faith, there are only three types of of people. And I'll put it up here. There are three types of people in this world when it comes to faith. Number one, people who currently struggle with doubt. Number two, people who have struggled with doubt and people who don't think. That's basically it. No pointing fingers, right? But we all struggle with this in our faith. And today I want to show you something in this Christmas season. And here's what I want to show you. I want to show you how Jesus taught us to deal with our doubts. How did Jesus teach us to deal with our questions, with our doubts, everything that we brought or that we bring to him? And we're going to figure that out today. But today we're going to do that by taking a journey like the little boy did on the Polar Express to face our doubts, to face our questions, to get some answers maybe or just see what we're supposed to do with our doubt. And I want, I want us to do this as we consider um, one of the apostles that is probably the most uh, identifiable person for all of us, and, and that person is Thomas. Now, there's always one word description that goes with Thomas. What is it? Say it with me. It's doubting, doubting Thomas. It's an unfortunate name that he got. And to be honest, I feel bad for Thomas. As we look at him today, I feel bad for him right from the outset. And, and here's why, because lots of people in the Gospels doubted. Jesus's cousin, John the Baptist, the guy that's like supposed to pave the way for Jesus at one point actually doubted. He thought Jesus was taking too long to bring the kingdom to earth. And so he asked him, he sent word to him. He said this, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? A little bit of doubt. You can look at the book of Job, which is basically 37 chapters of him confessing his doubts to God. My favorite by far, one of my favorite moments of, of just doubt in the Gospels is in the book of Matthew. And, and Jesus has appeared to, to the disciples, and they're all there present in a moment. And then he ascends into heaven. And as they're watching this, listen to what, what, what it says. It says this, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. 
imagine this. You're standing with a crowd next to one another talking to Jesus, and all of a sudden, huh. Yeah, I still don't know if I believe. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. He can't be God, right? They doubted in that moment. They got to see with their eyes as he ascends up into heaven, and some are just like, ah, yeah, I don't know. Here's the point. Lots of people in the Bible doubted. Doubt doesn't make you a bad Christian. It makes you human. The presence of doubt is not the absence of faith. It's an invitation to a deeper faith in Jesus Christ. So we have them. God wants us to process them with him. A theologian, a theologian um, Frederick Buchner says this, and I, and I love this. He says, doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. I love that. So we're going to look at Thomas today. We're going to look at his story. We're going to walk with him through his doubt and see what Jesus would have us do with our own. So grab your Bibles, your devices, whatever you're on. We're going to turn to this story to walk with Thomas through his doubt. It's in John chapter 20, and we're going to start at verse 24. Go ahead and grab those out. I'm going to read. You can listen and follow along, or you can read yourself uh, with your own Bibles. Again, John chapter 20, verse 24 is where we're going to start. Now, it's important to note where this story actually is in the Gospel of John. It's towards the end of the Gospel. And there's a reason that carries some significance, because right after the story of Thomas, John writes this to let us know the purpose of his Gospel. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So when John puts this story of Thomas at the end of the gospel, what he's really saying is this is the perfect example of a man who could not believe, who learned to believe through his doubts. And we're going to read and learn about that. So here's the setup. Jesus has just been crucified, buried in the tomb. It's been three days. Mary Magdalene is coming back to the tomb to, to, to mourn, to be there, to take care of the tomb and what's going on, and shows up. The stone's rolled away. Angel comes to her. She realizes something's going on, goes, tells John and Peter, giving you a quick recap. You can read it yourself if you need to at some point. John and Peter show up. They realize Peter goes in there and just goes, man, there has to be a miracle that took place. And so they, they leave. They go tell the disciples. And they all get together, and they're talking about, man, Jesus isn't there. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. But guess who's not there? Thomas. He's out making a Starbucks run, getting everybody coffee. And Jesus shows up in that moment and reveals himself to the disciples. But then Thomas finally gets back. And that's where we jump into verse 24. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nails, nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not, what? Believe. Now, this has got to be the number one on your top 10 regrettable things that you've ever said for Thomas. Like, if you've ever been in an embarrassing moment, you've probably said something, and maybe that lasted for five or 10 minutes in a small group, or whatever that looked like. A little bit of embarrassment, but eventually faded. Thomas says this. This is recorded in the Bible for 2,000 years. We're all reading about it. Poor guy. This is why he gets the name Doubting Thomas in the story. But you got to ask yourselves, why does he say this? Ten of his closest 
friends that he has walked with, believed with, done life with, look at him and say, Jesus was here, man. He showed up. We're not crazy. He goes, ah, until I see and moves on. Why does he do that? Verse 26 carries on. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. This is how we know Jesus has a sense of humor. Because when Jesus walks through a wall and was like, what's up? You're not feeling peace. (laughs) Nothing peaceful about that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine going to bed at night tonight? Your Christmas lights are on. You're cozy in bed. And you lay down, close your eyes. All of a sudden, you turn over and there's Jesus. Peace be with you. (laughs) Man, you ain't feeling peace. You know Jesus is laughing. The Father in heaven is dying. He's rolling, going, oh, he did it. I told me he wouldn't. He did. I just love it. Oh, I love it so much. It continues. Then he said to Thomas, oh, so important. Don't miss this. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Oh, man, so much going on right here. I love this. Check this out. How in the world does Jesus know to say those things to Thomas? He was not there when Thomas said it to the other disciples. God's revealing something to us about Jesus. He's showing us the resurrected Jesus is omniscient, meaning he is all-knowing. The resurrected Jesus is omnipresent, meaning he is everywhere all at once demonstrating his deity, which means that he is the son of God, which means he is the Messiah that was prophesied that would save us. Huge. Thomas, realizing this, falls before the Lord and says, my Lord and my God. Now, if anyone has ever told you that Jesus never claims to be God, they're wrong. See, many times, in the scriptures, Paul, Moses, different disciples, they would say, my Lord, my God, and they would correct people immediately and say, ooh, stuff's the top. That's blasphemous. I am not God. Give worship to God alone. And in this moment, Jesus does not correct. He accepts the worship of Thomas, saying, I am Lord. I am God. Verse 29. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, what I want to do, I want to take this story and help us with doubt. What I want to do is I want to give us a theological thought, meaning a a spiritual faith-based principle, a cornerstone of our faith when we say we're followers of Jesus Christ that speaks into doubt. And I want to walk us through three steps of what we do with our actual doubt based on Thomas and his experience. So let me start first with this theological thought. Our faith is anchored not in an explanation, but in an event. Write that down. Our faith is not anchored in an explanation, but in an event. Listen, Jesus did not address the substance of Thomas's doubts. He didn't address those doubts. Instead, he, he demonstrated the truth of his resurrection and showed him his hands. See, Christianity didn't begin with people who believed something. Christianity believed with people who saw something that was undeniable. Our faith, Christmas, is anchored in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the event. 
Listen, how do we know that, that Christmas is real? How do we know that everything Jesus said about himself to be God, to be the Savior, how do we know that he lived a sinless life, that he died and was resurrected? How do we know all that? Based on the resurrection. Our faith hinges on that truth, that he came back to life, that he was walking and seen among the living, that he is, in fact, alive in our Savior. See, if that isn't true, then... The, then Christmas is a joke. It's just somebody that was born that was a good teacher, and we move on. If the resurrection wasn't true, then our faith is nothing. This is just a bunch of self-help, and it doesn't help us at all anyways. But if the resurrection is true, if that happened, then Jesus is exactly who he said he was, and he fulfilled all of the prophecy of Scripture in that moment. That's how important this one event is to our faith. Now, I want to say, I want to say what everybody is thinking right here, right now. I thought it too. I read the story, I was about to teach, and I'm like, I can't teach that. It's so simple. And here's the thought. This is the thought that we are all thinking right now. Well, if I were Thomas and I got to see what he saw, I'd believe too. I believe. Sure. I go home, Jesus shows up, what's up? What's up? Says hi to me. Says, hey, the Bible's true, by the way. It's all good. I believe. That's easy. In fact, Jesus recognizes this. Do you know this? He says, acknowledges that Thomas got an unfair advantage. He says, verse 29, because you have seen me, you have believed. Congratulations. It's great. Good for you. Now, however, there is enough evidence still to this day pointing to the truth and the fact of the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ that Jesus finished that statement up by also saying, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have still believed. Because there's still enough evidence that's out there. See, the evidence for the resurrection is pretty overwhelming on the surface if you're willing to actually look at it. Jesus' physical resurrection that he defeated death, that he walked again, appeared to people, is a historical truth that you can go back, research, and look at. And it has overwhelming evidence pointing to it. I, let me just start here. I'll start with this one. What could explain better than Jesus's resurrection than what the apostles went and did afterwards, their actions? What could better? I, here's what I mean. All 11 of the apostles eventually died for saying what they saw. Do you know that? Every single one of them died for it. Now, I love Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon just gets, gets after it. And he always talks about this. And he said, what, what benefit would they have by lying about this? They all died. And here's what he said. Every liar lies so they can either lace their pockets with money or gain power. And the, the apostles got neither of those things. Like, they literally got tortured for saying what they saw and telling people to believe in Jesus Christ, that every single one of them died. Some of them crucified, crucified upside down. Some of them beaten to death. Some of them put in oil, uh, hot oil to die. Gruesome deaths. What else would explain the, the reason that they're doing this, except that they saw something and they know it's true? You can look at that. Look at the next thing. This is the one that's most convincing to me. For me. Just for me. I'm not sure. What would it take for you to be convinced that your sibling is God? Here's what I mean. James, the brother of Jesus, believed that Jesus was God. I have two older brothers. 
Eric and Craig, they're my brothers, love them to death, they're amazing. I don't think they're God, right? I mean, it would take a long way for me to get there. I'm way stronger than both of them. That's right. You heard it, Craig. You heard it, Eric. They're watching. Bring it on. Anytime. That alone is reason enough, like, they ain't God. What would it take? Here's what it would take. My brother Craig, he lives down here. It would take this. My brother would have to come up to me and say, hey, Sean, I got a bet for you. Okay. I bet you that I'm going to die. And when I die, you can have all my stuff. You can take all my stuff. It's all yours. Okay. But after three days, I'm going to come back to life. And when I do, you got to say I'm God. I'd be like, absolutely. Done. <laughs> it's great. I'll take all your stuff. Thank you. Uh, it, it, good day. And yet, James, the brother of Jesus, continue in the Bible. Go to his book in the New Testament. Writes about his brother Jesus. And what does he call him? Lord. My Lord. Man, what would it take you to do that? Undeniable to James. That Jesus, based on what he saw, that the resurrection is true, that Jesus, his brother, was God. That is a bad day, by the way. You're never going to live up to your brother in that place. Uh, man, now no, hear me. That's enough for me. But I don't struggle with doubt that much in my life. If I can just be honest. One of, one of my spiritual gifts in life is just faith. I just blindly believe because I just do. It's not blindly. There's evidence behind it. Man, I just, I have faith. And for some of you, you're sitting here and going, man, it's just not enough. It's not enough. Too much unexplainable to believe that the resurrection is true. Okay. If that's you, I want to encourage you. There are resources to go out there and to do research on the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first one I'm going to give you is The Case for Christ. It's a book by Lee Strobel. Right now, everybody needs to write that down. Everybody get it? So it's not awkward in one place and one person's like, yeah, I need help. All of us. Like, Lee Strobel the case for Christ. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should read that book. You should read it to know what you believe in the findings inside. It's fascinating. Another resource for you is gotquestions.org. Gotquestions.org. Fantastic website. has over 600,000 biblical questions that you can type in a search engine that will give you biblical, foundational, theological truth behind your question. Maybe you need more and you need to go get that. But let me, let me, let me turn this really quick to say this. Because I don't struggle with doubt in my life. Can I give you some perspective that I walk through biblically that helps me get through doubt? And hopefully, and maybe it'll help you. And the first one is this. is Jeremiah 29, verses 13 through 14. When you search for me, this is God. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all of your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. God is declaring through his word that if you would search for him, if you would bring questions, if you bring doubt, you would find him in your search. Now, let, let me suggest one last thing. It, it may, maybe it's a wondering of mine more than a principle we just live on, but I, I wonder if this is true about doubt in our head and our heart. Doubts and disbelief are not fundamentally a head problem. They are a heart problem. I wonder. When you say you don't believe, let me ask you, honestly, can you say honestly why that is? Because I believe if you search, you'll find. But I wonder if in many of us, the reason we don't actually believe, the reason that this bell does not ring for us in the gospel in the Christmas, Christmas season is because to admit that we believe would be to admit that we're not God and he is. Would be to admit 
that we would have to live our lives differently, that we would have to submit to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, to submit to what he taught, to submit to how to live. I wonder, for many of us, maybe, maybe it's a heart problem, not a head problem. We don't want to have to submit to God in our lives. So how do we explain what Thomas went through, what the apostles experienced? I have a definition of faith that I've learned to love. I don't know who first said it, but it's fantastic. Faith is the unexplainable meeting the undeniable. Thomas could not explain to people how the resurrection happened. He just knew it was undeniable that he met with Jesus. And for many of us, the way we'll realize that Jesus is who he says he is, is by experiencing him. And I, we pray for that for you every Sunday. We pray for that for every worship moment. Every time you step foot, every time you're sitting in your living room watching something like this, every time you open the word of God, we are praying that you would experience the truth of Jesus Christ, that no words may, may be given, but you would just experience his presence. I want to close with this. A question. Have you ever wondered why the resurrected Jesus still had scars on his hands? Like, they didn't have to be there. He could have healed his body completely. Why did Jesus have the scars? Well, we know through Thomas why. But do you know that those scars exist for you as well? That in our doubts and in our questions, which we, we may never get every answer we need, we can still reach out and hold the scarred hands of Jesus Christ as we walk through this life. Knowing that while we may never have all the answers, we can trust the fact of his resurrection that he is the son of God. That Christmas is not about a baby just being born in a manger, but a king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, coming to this earth to die for us. Listen, not only did he die for us, he died as us. He took our sin. He became us on that cross and took our penalty. So I wonder, have you experienced the scars of Jesus in your life? What he's done for you? Because sometimes it's just the undeniable that we experience Jesus and we can't explain it, but we just know that it's true. And as I close, let me give you, let me give you three steps, three things to do with your doubt. First, we bring our questions to God. Second, we process our doubts with godly people we trust. And then third, we follow Jesus anyway. Why? Because if the resurrection is true, which it is, he is our savior and we can trust him with whatever we're going through. Now, here's what I wanna do. I wanna pray for you. Whether you're at 12 Stone Home or live at one of our campuses, I wanna pray over you because here's what I know. I know this teaching doesn't solve the questions that you have and the doubts that you may carry. That's not what it's intended to do. This is to set you up in an experience with God, a journey with God, like the Polar Express, to go and travel, to, to, to engage with God these questions that you have, to bring them with him, bring the questions to him, to wrestle through your doubt with others, and to follow many ways. And so I want to pray for you. I want to pray for what you're walking through specifically. So here across all of our campuses, 12 Stone Home, wherever you're at, if you're in a car, don't bow your head, but everywhere else, bow your head. I want to pray. You're sitting here and you're going, yeah, I have some questions. I have some doubts that I have struggled with in my faith. And you can just let God know right here now. Whisper to him. I've got him. 
And Father, whatever they are confessing up to you, I pray that you, O Holy Spirit, would process that with them, that you would walk with them through their doubt, that they may be going through circumstances so overwhelming that they don't even know how to get past it in their faith. But God, you do. Meet them in that doubt. Listen, there is no question that we have that is bigger than you. No doubt that we could wrestle through that you can't handle. So point us to your word and the truth of who you are as we wrestle through it. And then, Father, there is, I want to pray specifically for one family. We are a church across 12, so our heads are bowed. And so, church, I'm going to invite you to pray with this with me. As we're praying for your doubts, there's circumstances you're going through, we're praying over, but I want to pray for one specifically. We're going to pray for Amanda and Marcus Hayhurst right now. We're going to pray for their son, Reese. Two days ago, he was diagnosed with leukemia. About three days ago. And they're going through the process right now. And I was on the phone praying with them. And they are wrestling through questions and doubt. This is not a sermon that's just out there for them. They are living it right now. And they don't know the outcome. And so, church, if you would, would you pray, pray with me for Reese, two-year-old boy? Right now, Father, we pray for Reese. We ask that you, O Holy Spirit, would you heal this little boy? You know his body. You know what he's walking through, the cancer that's inside of it, that's walking through his bones. We're praying right now that through the biopsies and through the doctors, through everything that's taking place, that you would miraculously heal this little boy. That in the doubts, in the confusion, the frustration that, the, that Amanda and Marcus are walking through, would you give them peace to understand that your hand is on this and you are doing something in it? But God, our will would be for him to be healed. And we're asking that that would be your will. Father, I pray that you would be glorified in heaven based on what happens in that hospital, that you would get the glory. I pray for the nurses that the name of Jesus in that hospital would be known because of what you've done. I pray for that little boy. Heal him. That one day he would walk into something, an understanding of what God did for him and have a faith that would be so unwavering that he would move mountains for others in the name of Jesus Christ because of it. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.